Oh, here we go. Favreau's got a man open. Evangelista with a new step. Coming in. Evangelista scores! 7.02 on a big band Tuesday here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate dealer today. A-Dog just wants to chime in. I don't know if it's necessarily big band, but it's very sultry and I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. nice. It's big, like, the big band is like, we're going to play a it's slow labeled, one now. Yeah, <laughs> it's labeled cool as, jazz room, three in the morning, everyone's smoking a big cigar. It's sophisticated big band. Well, it is a sophisticated radio show. Not if you listen to it. If you just take it on its premise that it's a sports talk radio show. Yeah, how about I'm rough in the morning, see? Uh, hour two of this program, Willie Donick, the play-by-play man for the National Predators, is going to join us in a moment here to kick off hour two. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them, 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find a perfect fit at Kintech.net. Before we get to Willie Donick to set up tonight's Canucks Predators game, uh, we are going to be giving away tickets when the Predators come to town next week, right? Halloween night, your favorite, Andy. October 31st, we're going to be giving away those tickets on Friday. But before we do any of that, we're also giving away tickets on today's show for Friday's game against the St. Louis Blues. Text into the Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650. Send your best what we learned, hashtag it WWL, and put a ticket emoji into the text to be entered into the contest to win a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Blues on Friday. But tonight, it is the Canucks, it is the Preds. Joining us now, play-by-play man of those Predators, Willie Donick here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Willie. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. Uh, I have to talk to Chris Mason and our producers. I- I've never heard our call like that uh, behind a little jazz sax. I think we should probably work that into the broadcast tonight. I think that's an improvement. We're always pushing boundaries here at the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Love it. Some said don't go with 20s-style jazz music. We said no. (laughs) We're going to do it. Um, The Nashville Predators, we talked about them a bit to open the show, but we wanted to dive into this team a little bit deeper with you. They're three and three. And I noticed that two of the three leading goal scorers from last year, Philip Forsberg and Roman Yossi, uh, have just one goal so far despite the fact that they have approximately a billion shots on net. Are they in a bit of a slump, or are these guys just snake-bitten right now? I think it's a combination of a couple things, and you're right to point that out, because it's kind of like good news, bad news. They've scored a fair amount, and they are 3-3, three and three despite the fact that they've only got one goal between those two guys who really have to carry the offense. And you also made note of the fact that they are getting shots. And I think if you look at the quality of their shots, they're pretty good. Um, so you feel like over time they'll get their goals. Uh, so I think, I think they're a little bit snake, but, but I would say, especially with Yossi, the change of styles, the change of systems that Andrew Burnett is putting in, I think has been an adjustment for Roman Yossi. It's much more of a north-south pass the puck up the ice, you know, go for the long bomb pass if it's there. Let's go north and south. And Roman Yossi is a guy that can skate through anybody and skate through an entire team sometimes. And so he has had to sort of reprogram himself a bit. And so I think he's still adjusting a little. I think he would tell you that. But, uh, but I still think he's been effective. And, and let's see how you know, this plays out over six months. 
Willie, let's take a big picture view of the Preds. What were expectations heading into this season? And what were they looking to achieve? Of course, there's been a lot of changes. Barry Trotz is in charge now. Andrew Burnett, the coach, you know, guys like Johansson and Duchesne, they're not there anymore. You bring in Ryan O'Reilly and, and Luke Shen. What were they hoping to achieve this season? I think the hope was that you're leaving a runway for young players like Luke Evangelista, who we just heard uh, scored his first goal the other day, uh, Yuso Parsonen, Tommy Novak, Cody Glass, guys like that, to see what you have. Guys who played very well in the closing weeks of last season. They want to see what they have in those guys. Are those guys just okay NHL players, good NHL players, or are they part of the nucleus that can get this team back to – being a contender, which is really the goal in the next two or three years. But I think while they're doing that, they want to remain competitive. They just played the San Jose Sharks. They lit up the other night. Uh, you know, the Sharks are in a long, long road. Uh, they're, they're, it's going to be a while before they're good again. And there were some people here in Nashville that were sort of voting for that, saying, hey, if you're going to break it down, break it all the way down. Let's get the top pick, which we've never had here in this city. But I, I think it's a little bit of be careful what you wish for. So I think Barry Trotz has chosen with the position they're in to try to gradually retool uh, sort of on the fly, maybe take a step back to take the two steps forward. Uh, but let's see how it works. Who is the highest ceiling prospect in the organization or young player? Like who could be, is there anyone in the organization with superstar potential? Because I think the people that make the argument that, you know, you strip it down to whatever and you get the first overall pick is that most teams that win the Stanley cup have star players and they have guys that are winning awards, whether they're Hart trophies or Selkie trophies or Norris trophies, whatever. So who, who kind of fits that bill in the Nashville Predators organization? That, that is a good question. I, I don't know that they have a superstar. They, they definitely, if you paid attention to the draft last year, they were dangling some people out, some resources to try to trade up to get that type of player. So Barry Trotz, the new general manager, definitely has that in mind, he, especially the centermen. I, I think that's really where they might be missing it. I will say, though, that a guy like Yuso Parson, the Athletic just did uh, their redraft of the 2019 draft, and Yuso Parson was a seventh-round pick that if you redrafted today, they had him somewhere about 14 or 15 in uh, the repicking. So I, I do think he's a guy that is going to be really, really good. Um, I, I think Evangelista can be very good, Novak. But I, I, would, I would say that there's probably not a guy that's going to be a superstar like an Elias Pedersen or a Quinn Hughes kind of guy. We're speaking to Willie Donick, play-by-play man for the Nashville Predators here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. It is the Canucks and the Predators 615 puck drop local time tonight on Frozen Frenzy Night in the NHL. Uh, Willie, as it pertains to tonight's game, UC Soros has started every single game for the Predators this season. Do we expect that streak to continue tonight? Uh, I would guess yes. I don't know that for sure. Uh, they don't play again until Saturday when the Maple Leafs come in. And then, as you guys hinted at before, then the team goes on a long road trip, which it starts in Vancouver, goes to Seattle, it goes all the way through Western Canada. I think for sure Kevin Lankinen will get a start or two in that mix. But I, I, would, I would think in the meantime, Soros will go tonight. They, they haven't played since Saturday.
but that's just me guessing. How big an impact is one of the big free agent acquisitions from the summer Ryan O'Reilly had on this team so far? Outstanding. Every, everything that they could have hoped for. He, he's playing very well, and he's playing top minutes at center, which I, I think a lot of people weren't sure what they were going to get there. And I think the hope is that someday, as he ages a little bit more, that somebody like Parsonen or Novak or Cody Glass, somebody like that could bump him down to maybe the second center, but that's maybe in a perfect world. Uh, but in the meantime, O'Reilly's winning faceoffs. He's got great chemistry with Parsonen and Forsberg. If you look at their underlying numbers, uh, they're driving play very, very well. And I think the biggest thing is he is having a great influence on the younger players. Uh, you know, he's setting the example every day. When he gets there, uh, his work ethic at practice, they're just raving about him. Uh, the other big free agent signing, of course, was Luke Shen, former Vancouver Canuck. Now, uh, let me, tell me if I've got this right. The injury that he suffered that shelled him for four to six weeks, there was actually a sigh of relief within the organization because they initially thought it could have been worse and even more long-term. Is that Was that an accurate description of the lower body injury that Shen suffered? You know, I, I, I don't think anybody said anything officially, but I, I did hear, you know, whispers of that. I, I think uh, they feared it would be longer. Uh, so four to six weeks, I, I do think, was maybe a best-case scenario. It's really unfortunate uh, what, what happened because he's another guy. Barry Trotz's theme with the pickup of O'Reilly, Shen, and Gus Nyquist, who's played very well also, very quietly, is that, you, know, you surround young players with guys who really set the right example and have won a lot of games in the league. Shen fits the bill for sure, but he got injured in the first game. Uh, or, uh, Sorry, he played in the first game. That again got injured, I think, the next day in, in practice. Hmm. And so uh, they won't have him for a while. Now, you know, we talked a little bit about style of play earlier, but in terms of, you know, attitude and personality and identity and style of play, there's obviously a change when you change your coaches and you go from Heinz to Brunette. Um, and I, I did notice that this, you mentioned the younger wave of players, and we were joking at the break, like, I think Kiefer Sherwood had a Gordie Howe hat trick in approximately 90 seconds uh, in the previous game. So there's a, there is that definite sense that they play young and up-tempo and with energy, but has there been any other significant changes or style of play changes uh, going to Andrew Burnett? Uh, well, six minutes and 46 seconds to be exact. That's for, what it was. Sherwood, okay. which, is, which was the fastest. We, it took us a while to look it up, but that was the fastest in Predator history, and you are talking about Jordan Tutu, so <laughs> that's, right, uh, right. that's pretty quick. But um, I think the biggest thing you're going to notice is they, they try to put the defense on their heels. They, they don't have a bunch of speedsters. They, they just picked up uh, Liam Foody from Columbus on waivers. And that, that's the kind of thing that they're able to do with their roster flexibility right now. There's so many teams right up against the cap uh, that would have a hard time taking a flyer on, on a guy like that. Foody is a super speedster who hasn't put it together as a all-around player yet. And they're wondering if a you know, second chance, a change of scenery might help. But this team, by and large, like take Ryan O'Reilly, who you mentioned, he's, he's not a straight up-and-down Speedster is going to win a lot of skating contests. But collectively, uh, you can notice a big difference in the style of play. They're pushing the puck up the ice. They're, they're blowing zones, if you will, to use a How Gill term. And um, it's working so far. What the, the net result has been a much, more, uh, ba- much better balance of quality shots and not giving up as much quality. 
and that's encouraging for somebody putting in a new system like that who doesn't quite have the ideal personnel to match up with it yet. So bringing it back to the Preds as a team and their expectations for the season, what has Barry Trotz said about the expectations? Like, does he, does he, like, have they said, like, we expect to make the playoffs or is it more kind of like, we just want to make progress in building the next great Nashville Predators team? This team missed the playoffs for the first time in eight years last year and I think the the fan base had gotten really impatient they had gotten fed up with the sort of the, the the previous look where it really felt like getting to the playoffs was one thing but when they got to the playoffs they just didn't have the tools and the the, the roster to win in the playoffs and that was bearing out they had they haven't won a playoff series since 2018 and I don't think they've really had a team that has a great chance of contending since about 2019 is what I would say. But uh, so I think what Barry Trotz has said, he, he has said, be patient. We're really trying to build a championship roster and it's going to take a few years. In the meantime, I think he wants to be competitive. I, I, I think they will not use the word rebuild. Uh, Andrew Burnett has been flat out asked that, is this a rebuild? And he said, no, he's not allowing that to get into the locker room. So, I think if they made the playoffs, it would be gravy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the, the real goal is to have a strong roster in another two to three years. They have a really good way. They have five former first-round picks. I shouldn't say former. They have five guys who were first-round picks on their team in Milwaukee right now. So they, they have a couple of layers of prospects that they've been building for the last several years. And that's where I think you've got to give David Foyle a lot of credit. He did not mortgage the future. No over the last few years. He's built a pretty good farm system, even though, as you guys mentioned, the one weakness is it doesn't really look like it's got an elite talent base who could be a superstar player. Maybe Askarov, the young goalie, might have the highest ceiling. What do you think about the... like? How would a full rebuild go over in Nashville? Like, I'm looking at some of the crowds that San Jose's been getting, and, like, it feels like the Sharks have been almost forgotten in that market, and they're kind of like a lot of the fans. And, you know, when the Sharks were good, they had great crowds. They were consistently sold out. It's one of the loudest buildings in the NHL, and now it's not. Uh, I'm just wondering from a business case, because we've been talking about this a lot up in, in Vancouver, you know, there, believe it or not, there have been a few people here in Vancouver that have been like, you got to tear this thing down. It's, it's not working, but the organization, the team, and I think a lot of this is a business case is we are not going through that. The question, you know, this is the 25th year uh, of the predators. So I would like to think that the market now, the way the city has grown, could handle a rebuild if that's what they choose to do. But I still think you would have to pay a big price. I I do think it would hit you at the box office. There's no doubt about it. Um, So I, I I like what they're trying to do. They're looking at something like the Dallas stars did, and you might have to get a little bit lucky. Like Mm -hmm. Jason Robertson was a a second round pick who's tuned in to a superstar, right? Rope Hintz was not a first round pick, but he's a heck of a player. And so, I think that's how they're trying to build it uh, with a volume of good prospects. But it's, it's a great question that we have fired back at our fan base a lot. I do a lot of sports talk radio 
uh, in my spare time, mm-hmm. and that comes up a lot, that debate of should they break it all the way down. And, and there's a great example of UC Soros, right? When, when you have UC Soros, you're not going to be at the bottom of the league. He's just going to keep you afloat. Last year, they largely got 92 or 93 points because of him. Uh, so if you, if you really want to break it down, you would probably trade him. And there are those that say do that because you have a scar off uh, waiting in the wings who has a chance to be really good. But that will be a big decision they have to make probably around the trade deadline. There's still another year after this on Soros' current contract, which is one of the biggest steals in hockey right now at $5 million a year. So watching them over the first six games, I know it's only been six games, but are they better than you expected them to be? Uh, yes. I, I didn't I – didn't, uh, yeah, and like you said, it's only six games. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the, the locker room chemistry – is much, much better. Uh, I think the buy-in to the system is much, much better. Uh, and I do think there is reason to, and the underlying numbers, no question, are a lot better. They, they have not sat back and said, okay, if we're going to win this game, it's going to be because UC Soros is incredible. Right. He hasn't really done that yet. Uh, he hasn't really had to do that yet. Even the games they've lost, they lost 6-1 to one last week against the Oilers. But if you look at the, the quality of the shots by the end of the game, they had 43 shots. Uh, they, they were out shooting the Oilers throughout the game. It's just one of those nights that the Oilers, you know, were finishing everything and every big gaffe that the Predators made, including taking a couple of bad penalties, the Oilers cashed in. The Oilers just own the Predators right now for whatever reason. Uh, I, I know one of the reasons, number 29. Yeah, that's, those that's guys one, are good. That's one of the reasons. <laughs> he scores about five points a game against the Predators, it seems like, and I'm not really exaggerating that much. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think they look like they're better, but, but only time will tell. Willie, thanks so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. All right, guys. Anytime, and, and looking forward to coming to Vancouver next week. Always enjoy taking the trip out there. Well, it's Halloween, okay. too, so you can go trick-or-treating while you're here. <laughs> oh, well, well, you know what? I'm going to go with Hal Gill. That, that's going to be the Oh, the bring your stilts. Right all right. Yep. Bring a, a couple. Of, I'm six I'm three, so I just need a little bit of a, a lift, a number seventy five jersey, and I'll be set. Thanks, Willie. Take All right, care. guys. Uh, so the Nashville Predators tonight. Um, from a Canucks perspective, we heard Willie talking about how the Predators have not been like we're just going to sit back and let our goaltending take care of things. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what Rick Tockett was criticizing the Canucks for. Uh, the other day, too much backing up through the neutral zone, and he doesn't want that. So as much as we may not think, oh, the Nashville Predators, huge test for the Canucks, well, at five-on-five, it might be. Yeah. I think that they intentionally brought in a guy like Andrew Brunette to play a different style than what they were doing under John Hines, and I think a lot of it, like what Willie was talking about on the calls, like get in on the forecheck, pressure mm-hmm. the opposition to make plays and to beat you. Don't be passive. Don't sit back. I think I think a lot of that leans on, well, we've got younger, hungrier, energetic guys. Like, as he also pointed out, they're not a particularly fast team mm-hmm. in Nashville. They don't have a lot of burners and a lot of guys that have great speed. But uh, they've got a certain aggressiveness and relentlessness collectively as a team where they can – you know, put you under the cosh, as they say in football. And they they, they want to pressure you. They right. want to make the game uncomfortable. And that's probably uh, something that Rick Tocca would like to see a little bit more out of the Canucks. And I think that goes into board battles and winning all that kind of so stuff. So for me going forward, the thing to watch for in the Canucks is their five-on-five play. Hmm. 
the formula for success, I think the one, the success formula that we all predicted was Thatcher Demko would bounce back and have a really good season. And, you know, Casey DeSmith comes in and, and brings them capable backup goaltending. So the goaltending is good. Mm-hmm. Also, the special teams are good and, and improved in the case of the PK. Maybe the PK isn't quote unquote like great or even very good, but it's much improved based on the horrific numbers that yeah, put up last it's not season. Historically bad anymore. And then the power play comes through and the power play turns into an elite power play, which it has been so far this season. The question, though, is, first of all, is that good enough? Are you a good enough team if you just have great special teams and great goaltending? It can probably get you into the playoffs. I'm not sure how much further it can get you. So what Rick Tockett is talking about is, hey, that's great that we have great goaltending Mm -hmm. and our special teams are improved. But we have to be able to dictate play at five on five, or at the very least, not have it dictated to us. Like sure. just break even five on five. And I think that's where you're, you're, you're seeing him. He still needs to get buy-in and he's saying like half the guys get it, but half the guys go don't. And a lot of that is, it's kind of boring, right? It's just, it's through the neutral zone. How are you through the neutral zone? Are you going, oh, my God, here they come. I'm backing up. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to kind of um, not like let them into the zone, but we're going to make it easier for them through the neutral zone because we're kind of scared of them. Right? I, or are we going to attack them through the neutral zone and maybe force some turnovers and go back the other way? I wonder how much of that is about strategy and buy-in and how much of it is about personnel. I do wonder if they've got the right mix to do the things that Talkit wants them to do a five-on-five at a higher level. Mm -hmm. I think there's always room for improvement internally. I think anyone can get better, but some guys are built to do certain things. Some guys aren't. More importantly... But I think he wants to change their instincts through the neutral zone. Like, don't back up. You ever, try to, you ever try to change someone's instincts? It's hard. Yeah, it's difficult. I've been yeah. trying to turn you into a good radio host for a right. while Right, and it just doesn't work. <laughs> it right? just doesn't work, it right? Doesn't, you are what you are, right? You take you. That's exactly it. You get what you get. That's why you hired us. Yeah. But... You've been turning me into... Trying to turn me into someone who's, like, nice. Yeah, and that's not going to happen. That's not going to work. But talk it's tasked with that. I also think Tockett is tasked with the feedback part of it, where he goes to Rutherford and Alvin, and he's like, that guy right there, mm-hmm. he's not going to get it done. And then uh, the other parts of the game, I mean... I like the Canucks. I like the Canucks two top lines, and I love their first pairing. It's just a very top-heavy team right now, and in order to control a game at five-on-five, five, you need all four lines on board. Well, here's and an example of you need all three pairings on board. About. Tyler Myers is a functional, regular contributor to your blue line, unless you healthy scratch him, which I don't think that they're prepared to do. So you are, do you reasonably think that he's what, 31, 30 years old? He's a vested NHL veteran at this point. How much are you going to coach or change him instinctually? Well, and, he only played 13 minutes last game. So maybe the coaching staff is just like, hey. And that's a personnel decision, is, right? It's is, how much or how little do you use the players that are presented to you? Yeah. That's, those are personnel decisions internally. Big picture, it's do we wait until this guy's contract runs out and then move on entirely? Do we move him at the deadline? But internally, it's do we stop using our employee as much? Are we making him a 40-hour-a-week guy? Or are we going to knock him down to 20 or 25 hours a week, right? That's kind of the thing that Talkett is dealing with, uh, with Myers in particular, but I'll be curious to see what the rest of the guys as well. Uh, we'll continue this conversation in about half an hour with Brendan Batchelor when he join us, joins us. But in the meantime, 
Vanny Sartini, manager of the playoff-bound Vancouver Whitecaps. And he's got himself a new contract extension. So we'll talk to Vanny next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Whitecaps manager Vanny Sartini is going to join us in just a moment here. Hour two of this show is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. The Vancouver Whitecaps begin their best of three playoff series with LAFC this Saturday, October 28th. Then, the following weekend, and what will be a very busy weekend for BC Place, it's match two of that series against LAFC on the Sunday, a 4.30 kickoff for the Whitecaps. Joining us now, Whitecaps manager Vanny Sartini here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Vanny. How are you? I'm good, guys. How are you? We're good. Uh, We wanted to start with uh, some congratulations, which of course are in order. First, congrats on making the playoffs. I don't think that we've spoken since you guys officially locked in that playoff spot. And also, congrats on the two-year extension to remain the club's manager through 20. 25. How happy were you, Vanny, to get that deal done? Yeah, very happy. You know, when uh, uh, you know, we started uh, kind of uh, talking about it uh, like a month ago, a few weeks ago, uh, I, the, the only objective for me was to kind of stay in, stay in here. And uh, for a lot of reasons, one of the reasons is that, uh, you know, besides of the fact that uh, uh, I love it here, I love the club, I love the fans, the fact that uh, the team is doing very well. The team is uh, is trending up uh, uh, since I took over two years ago, and I think we are really close to become one of the team that can really uh, be like a, a constant playoff contender and a serious contender to to win the the MLS Cup in the near future, so you know it's. Uh, I think it's a good it's a good uh, time to be the head coach of the Vancouver Whitecaps. Well, uh, it, it is, and you've obviously earned this through the on pitch production, the trophies, and everything else. But when you initially took the job, it was on an interim basis. You were replacing Mark DeSantos. This was way back in 2021. Did you think at that time that you'd ever be in a position like this, signing a two year extension, being on through 2025, and winning all the trophies that you have? Uh, I'm a pretty optimistic person, but I didn't. Well, I didn't think about it. But to be honest, uh, when I when I took over uh, in uh, August 2021 as an interim, my I would say optimistic outlook was, oh, hey, it's gonna be a very good uh, a chance for me to show my skills to everyone, and maybe I'm gonna get 
don't know, an head coaching job in uh, some kind of uh, lower division like the, um, the CPL or the USL because they see me that I'm doing quite well in the MLS. So uh, it went beyond the expectations. So, uh, yeah, good, good like this. Uh, let's talk about this playoff matchup with LAFC. Did you like or do you like, looking in retrospect, that your final regular season opponent, LAFC, now ends up being your first-round playoff opponent? So there's a lot of instant familiarity there. Yeah, and also we already played with them in the Champions League, too. So we already played with them four times. And uh, at the end of the thing, we, we, if, we, if we go to the third game, we'll, we have we'll, we have played them in the season seven times. So it's something crazy, maybe. Uh, it's okay. Uh, between me and you, I I actually like that uh, if we had to play with them uh, at the end, we didn't win the game because uh, I think that it, it leaves us uh, it le- it left us with a little bit of fire, like the fact that uh, we deserve to win the game and we tied at the end in order to have uh, even, we don't need to, but even to have a little extra motivation to go to Los Angeles and try to make this uh, upset in the first game. Yeah, Vanny, you used the word upset there. Are you guys the underdogs in this series? I think so, because at the end, the the, the third game, if we make one and one, is going to be in LA. We're not the underdog in like a 70% 30 for them. I think it's kind of like... A, 55 45 just mm-hmm. because of the just because of the of the of the home advantage in the third game and the fact that they are a good team but uh, with everyone to be honest we, we are playing LA but we could have been uh, uh, drawn with uh, with any other teams that is doing the, the playoff uh, I don't think that uh, we would be a clear favorite against everyone uh, anyone and a clear underdogs again, a clear underdog again against anyone. The the the, the Western Conference has been so tight that uh, I think everything is open. What do you think of the best of three format? It's a it's a little unusual when it comes to soccer globally to have this best of three. It's more of a North American thing. Yeah, it's it's the first time that it happened to me to play in a kind of a best of three. Uh, Soccer-wise, I would say, for from a purist point of view, um, I'm not very enthusiastic about it because it. I give you an example. There can be that a team dominate the game three or four zero, the second game ties zero zero, and then you lose in you lose in penalty, and you need a third game while you've been clearly the best team for two games. So, um, you know, in terms of. Uh, I would say giving a, a real um, advantage for the team who played better in the series. I think uh, the home and away is better than, than the three game. But from a fan's perspective, I think it's very good because, uh, you know, it, it, it keeps everything open after the first game. And at any moment, the team can, can come back, like, you know, in any series when you see the NBA, the NHL, mm-hmm. like this. So from from a, probably from a fan perspective is uh, is uh, is better. Um, is it a way? Like it's been, it was frustrating when you guys would make the playoffs and then you'd go away for a game and unfortunately you would lose that and then Whitecaps fans would be like, 
all right, I guess that's the season's over. They made the playoffs, and yet we don't get to see them at home. Is it a way for MLS to pretty much like guarantee that all the teams that make the playoffs will at least have a playoff game in front of their fans? Yeah, well, the thing that they did this year with the best of three is perfect because everyone at least has almost a game. Uh, they have a game home. Uh, I would say uh, the other way to do it probably would be maybe the first two rounds uh, you can do home and away. So in the first round and the second round, if you go through, you you for sure you have a, you have a home game and then uh, maybe just to look with a single elimination game from the conference final and the MLS Cup final to the team where it's better place. You know. And I think that uh, at least this season is a is a it's a much better situation than for example when we went to Kansas City two years ago that we, we pushed, 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 we did everything to get in the playoffs and we went to Kansas City, we lost there and our fans they didn't have the possibility to have a playoff game at home. So Vanny heading into this series um, do you guys discuss, all right, let's say we get a penalty kick. Who takes it? Uh, because uh, the penalty kicks in the last game didn't go so well. No, no. They could have done better. They could have done better for sure. Uh, yeah, for sure we'll, uh, we'll train like we always do before then every elimination game. Uh, uh, Friday before the, the game, uh, we'll, uh, we train because the, the, the game, if he ends on tie on 90s, not only the penalty during the game, but if you have some time of 90, you could straight to PKs. So, of course, we'll, we'll train the, the PKs for, for this eventuality. And, uh, and for the, for the um, penalty taker during the, during the game, uh, I will have a, a pretty simple conversation with Ryan Gold. <laughs> and uh, if he feels that, uh, that he, he, can, he can take uh, the penalty with, uh, with no problem, he is our penalty taker. Before last Saturday, I think in two years, he scored 11 out of 11 PKs. And so it was clinical. Uh, before Saturday, Saturday he had, uh, first of all, the first one was a fantastic save by Maxime, and the second one was a little bit uh, um, unlucky, uh, hitting the post, and then there was a little bit of uh, know, trauma before that probably didn't help. And uh, so I will, I will talk to him, and if he feels okay to, to take, he will be the town that only take it again. The first round playoff series versus LAFC gets underway on Saturday at LAFC. The following weekend, the Whitecaps are back at home for match two of a potential uh, three-game series. Vanny, thanks a lot for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Congrats once again on the extension, and best of luck against LAFC. Thank you, guys. Talk soon. Talk soon. Thanks. That's Vanny Sartini, Whitecaps manager, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So we got to text it into the Dunbar Lumber text line. 650, 650. Uh, unsigned text. I don't know why MLS needs a best of three series. Soccer already has a home and away solution, which is aggregate scores, i.e. the Champions League. MLS is always trying to reinvent soccer, but it doesn't fit. Yeah, but if you do home and away, what advantage does the team that had the better regular season have? That's Correct. where like, it goes back. The whole thing is different. Sure. right? The whole thing is different compared to what's done in Europe. In the English Premier League, there's no like, well, who's going to make the playoffs this year, right? There's there's the league, you win the league, and then there's a, like a separate FA Cup, and then the good teams participate in the Champions League. It's just, 
it's just different. And MLS has been stuck in both worlds yep. for almost its entire, well, it has been it its has entire been. existence, right? Like you want to appeal to the North American fans who expect the playoffs and they want the, they want the playoffs and they they won't be like, what do you mean we won the league, the regular season? Like when's the Super Bowl of soccer, right? That's, that's what, that, that's what a lot of them are asking. And you have to appeal to those people because you have to make new fans and you have to create new fans. At the same time, MLS has also been like in a league where they call a team Real Salt Lake. Yeah. Right? And so they can't, they don't, they, they, they haven't quite figured out what they are as a league. But that happens, right? Like leagues take a while to evolve. Look at some of the NHL playoff formats that they had when the Canucks first came into the league. Like, that was before my time. But when I go back in history, I'm like, wait a minute, the Canucks played a best of three against Philadelphia? Yeah, the like, best. How the hell did that work, right? Well, it's just, it is the evolution of a league. And I'm still quite bullish about MLS's future, just in terms of the amount of money that's behind MLS, the World Cup coming to North America again. Apple's the, involvement. The demographics of the league versus some other leagues. There's a lot to be bullish about, but they are going to need good, strong leadership, and they're going to need to determine what they are. Are they a North American league? Are they a football league? Or are they, like It's almost like, are you a football league or are you a soccer league? Mm-hmm. Do you and know that, what I mean? That's a valid point because there were, I mean, honestly, and I remember hearing about this anecdotally, there were people in North America who didn't understand how a two-game aggregate series worked. Like when they would go to the second match yeah. and their team would lose 1-0 but still advance, it'd be like, that doesn't make any sense. We lost. Right. We lost. We should be out. And they're like, no, no, no. You racked up a bunch of goals in the first match and that carries over to the second. That concept does not apply in a best-of series. That's why MLS is in this. Remember, the important thing here, the scores don't matter. It's win-loss. If you play to a nil-nil draw on Saturday in LAFC, your job's not done. Mm -hmm. That match is going to penalties, and you're going to have a winner or a loser either way. So it's fundamentally different. I think MLS is always going to be the league that straddles the line between European football and American soccer. And that's going to be their identity. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, part of the, and some people will say charm, I'm not ready to go there yet, but some people will say part of the charm of the league is that it is so weirdly unique. But aren't there some people in, you know, that, that are fans of global soccer, global football that don't like the home and away aggregate scores too? Like there, there has yeah. been criticism of that format. Like I don't love it. Yeah, they've got like it's weird. You're playing two wow. games, but it's actually just one big game. Like it's but kinda not really, you know? Like right. it's it's a bizarre format when you think about it. Right. And it's a sort of an ancient approach. Like they've gotten rid of the uh like away goals meaning more than home goals and all it that. It is right? ancient because it was developed when like travel was a nightmare. Yeah. Right. It was just like, oh my God, we gotta we gotta go to like, you know, like wherever. Like we gotta go to the Ottoman Empire now or whatever, you know, like it's 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 been around for a long time mm-hmm. and and travel was a big deal. You wouldn't go like, okay, we got a home game here and then we'll go away. And then we gotta go back home again for a yeah. game or well, yeah, away again. Traditionally what you're talking about the away matches were considered just a cauldron. Like if you could get a point out of playing Galatasaray in the 70s and 80s. It was funny. Mm-hmm. I was watching a clip of the, the inverse. I think it was Galatasaray. It was, it was the Turkish national team going to Northern Ireland in like the 80s. Right. And it was just a different sport. 
It was, uh, there were supporters, thousands and thousands of them, basically standing on the field. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a daunting thing to go into someone else's country and get a result, and then that trickled down to the club level. Anyway, we're getting way off base here with regards to this, which is the Whitecaps now enter a pretty interesting series for a multitude of reasons. One, we get to see this playoff format, which we haven't seen. Two, you get to see a Whitecaps playoff game at BC Place, which hasn't happened in a while. And three... And it's not a playoff game where, you know, I always come back to that Seattle series. There's no incentive to, like, park the bus. Unless you want to get to kicks, right? Unless you feel you're so overwhelmed by the opposition that you're like, we'll take the coin toss at penalty kicks and we'll just try and tie this game. But I don't think that's going to happen. Well, part of that is the beauty of Vanny as as a manager, as a gaffer. He just Mm. doesn't think like that, Right. right? These, it's got a lovely well, approach. Well, the Whitecaps are too good to think like that, especially when they're at home. Right. They're, but they're strategic or cynically strategic. Right. Mm-hmm. It's where you play the match intentionally because you know that you're setting yourself up for a return leg or a second match. This, yeah. this is going to be go out and win. You have to go out and win. And it'll be the only really interesting thing is that. Um, what you kind of brought up is that if the Whitecaps lose in LAFC on Saturday, let's say that they do, they come home knowing that they need to scratch and fight and claw to keep their season alive. But if they win the opener in LAFC, you come back home, mm-hmm. and that's where I could see it's like, well, going to penalties with the opportunity to decide the series isn't the worst thing for us. Worst case scenario is we lose on penalties and we've still got another bite at the apple. So I'll be very curious to see how that plays so out. So I did want to mention, uh, talk about another game that's going to be at BC Place. And it is December 5th. It's a Canada women's national team friendly against Australia. But the big story there will be that is the send-off game for Christine Sinclair. Yeah. Now tickets go on sale October 30th. And I really, really hope that we can get a great crowd out to BC Place to give a deserved farewell to one of the greatest athletes in Canadian history mm-hmm. who happens to be a local product from Burnaby. I, You know, we want to talk about the lack of quote-unquote big games and exciting games that we've had locally over the last little while. We are getting a weekend of playoff matches at BC Place in November. Then, a month later, we are getting a send-off to one of the greatest athletes that this country has ever seen. So we should really, I agree with you, we should really be embracing this and leaning into it. Take advantage of these opportunities. They don't happen all that often in this quick succession either. Mm-hmm. Like we've got a month, basically four, a four-week span, where we've got some really big marquee events at BC Place. BC this Place is probably like, excellent. Gigantic stadium. <laughs> Lots of seats. Yeah. Fill it with people. Have have the tequila and sodas available. They're in cans now. Oh, are they? Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. That's important. They've made some wrinkles. <laughs> They've made some adjustments with the concessions at BC Place. It hasn't been bad. They heard your complaints yeah. and they're like, just give it to them in a can. Alfred yeah. led that charge. <laughs> yeah. Could we have more canned beverages? Um, I will say, we went on Saturday for the season finale. I had 25,000 in Yeah, there was so. a... So, um, that sounds weird, but like, what was the reason for that big crowd? 
Um, there was a real push for last regular season game. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, I don't think a lot of people were there to see LAFC and Max Crapo and uh, Mark DeSantos, but it, they've always because they'd had, already they, they guaranteed they're making the playoffs. Yeah, I, they well, they there was a lot of I'll say this: there was a lot of different marketing pushes from different uh, areas, and I was a little bit surprised. The announcement of Sartini actually got announced with like three minutes into the match. So it's not like anyone heard like, oh, there's all these great things going on. Let's go. Mm-hmm. That just kind of popped up out of nowhere. I didn't have that on my radar. I knew that there was conversations about extending him. I didn't realize they were going to announce it at the regular season finale. But right. um, I think it mostly came down to the end of the regular season, the anticipation of the playoffs, maybe a chance for people who are going to go to the playoffs to say, hey, I, I want to take a little bit more of this team in prior to overall they've had a good year vanny's done a really good job i think he deserves the the extension all the plaudits that he's getting how many times throughout his tenure did you wonder i wonder if he's gonna make it here oh plenty yeah you know it's it's one it's an inevitability with a team that's been this dysfunctional as whitecaps have over the last few years is it also fair to say that when he originally took over he might have been seen even internally as a temporary measure? Well, you I don't know if you could make it out because the audio wasn't great on his call, but he actually said when he took the interim job, his mm-hmm. thinking was, maybe I build my resume so I could get a head coaching job at a lower level. Right. I don't even think he had the expectations of this being a long-term thing, but uh, he's very authentic. He's got a lot of passion for what he does, and he never seems to play the game, quote-unquote, play the game with when he's talking to guys like us. Like he's, yeah. he's, I mean, the best is when he says, just between me and you. I'm like, Vanny, we're on the radio. Yeah, there's Everyone's l- hearing this. There's at least 11 people listening to Dozens this. Dozens of people are interested yeah. in what you're saying right now. But he's a, he's a very, very uh, engaging, charismatic guy. And I think mm-hmm. Vancouver as a sports market is better for having a manager like that around. Uh, so the Vancouver Canucks take on the Nashville Predators tonight in Nashville. Uh, Nashville will be in Vancouver on Halloween as well. So you're going to see a lot of Preds over the next few days. Um, Brendan Batchelor is going to join us next to preview this Canucks-Preds game from the Canucks perspective. Uh, some of the questions I want to ask Batch is whether or not he expects to see Niels Hoaglander return to the lineup. Hoaglander practiced on the fourth line in place of Jack Studnika uh, on Sunday. The Canucks had a day off Yesterday, I'm sure they'll skate this morning in Nashville, you know, after a day off in Nashville. They probably had a big night out Sunday night, right? Seahawks game, go well, to the bar, they watch practice. Night so they're like, okay, let's have a good practice. And then Sunday, we'll watch football all day at a bar and maybe have a night out. And then yesterday was a day off. I'm sure the message from the coaching staff, by the way, was like, hey, have fun. You guys deserve it, but remember, when you come back to the rink, make sure you're ready to play because as positive as things are and were after that Florida game, which was a solid win for the team on the road against a pretty good team to improve to 3-2, and we all know that it takes like one game Mm -hmm. for the vibes to change. In this Nashville Predators team, I don't. F- I think they're better than people expected, and I think they're playing with some energy, especially early on in the season. They had one bad loss to the Edmonton Oilers. Otherwise, the three and three. They've won two in a row, and they're getting lots of shots per game, which says something about your team. So, I hope they go into this game with the attitude of, look, 
It's been a uh, mixed bag of a road trip. We've had some good wins, some bad losses, some gutsy wins, some regular losses. So it's been it's been the whole shebang. Out of that, yep. Let's finish it off in a positive way and go back to Vancouver, four and two. That's the opportunity. Finish this road trip and you go back to Vancouver. Instead of last season, remember when they went back to Vancouver and it was like, let's boo all of them. Oh, five and two. Let's really? change this. And then you go back and you get a St. Louis Blues team that is not very good, an opportunity there. And maybe you can build something for the Vancouver Canucks this season. Brenda Batchelor is going to join us next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.